All right. Well, if you're able to make your way back to your seats, we're going to continue. So I invite you to come and to uh, find your seat again. And I just want to introduce our speaker for this morning. So once again, my name's Joe Crumley. I'm one of the leaders here of Christ Central Church. And uh, when this church got started in the early days, back in the late 90s, we were a really small group, and uh, we didn't really know what we were doing. And uh, through really God's plan, uh, we found a group of churches that we felt did know what they were doing. And uh, make a long story short, uh, we called a church in England and asked for their help. And they put us in touch with a couple named Dave and Rosie Fellingham, who are here with us this morning. And Dave and Rosie, in prayer, uh, felt God leading them to come and to be with us. And over the next couple of years, late 90s, uh, onward into the 2000. Uh, God just began to develop a really special relationship with them being able to help us, in a sense, really parent and to really bring what the Bible talks about, bringing apostolic foundations, of just bringing good foundations on the Word of God and how that gets lived out in church life. So much so that in, uh, 10 years ago, 2002, Dave and Rosie, uh, their church blessed them to be able to come. They actually spent three months with us. They lived here in Fredericton for three months to really get us established. And uh, so we owe a lot to, uh, to Dave and Rosie, and it's been great over the years to be able to continue that relationship. And uh, we've, they were here three and a half years ago at our first church weekend, so many of you met them then, and we're thrilled to have them back again. And so we had a great teaching day yesterday, and we've asked Dave to come and to bring teaching again this morning and to really speak into our church life. And we believe that God's going to speak through him here this morning. So we'll give him our full attention. Welcome, Dave and Rosie. And uh, come on up. That's great. Thanks, John. Well, it's great to be with you. It feels like coming home. So uh, it's great to see so many old faces, some a bit older than they were, like mine. <laughs> but never mind. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you, Joe, for your welcome, and uh, um, we've been praying much about this weekend, and w- Rosie and I are now based in another church. We were in the church in Brighton. I was in leadership there for uh, around 32 years, and then uh, I finished there just uh, over two years ago, and I'm now supposed to be retired, but I don't know who ever invented such a word. Um, it doesn't exist. I'm helping a church in, in Horsham, which is just about 20 miles or so from where we live. And it's um, perhaps just slightly bigger than this, but similar kind of dynamic and similar kind of feel. And um, over this last weekend, the church in Horsham has been putting on what is called the Glory Conference. It's a prophetic conference. We have some remarkable prophetic people in the church. And um, some of you may have come across the ministry of Julian Adams, who's a rather remarkable prophetic guy in the UK, and they've been at uh, the Horsham Church, King's Church Horsham, over the weekend. And uh, uh, I know this is going to impress Gary, because I'm going to get my MacBook out. (laughs) Um, I'm able to work it a little bit, but I'm going to read you an email that I got this morning about the meeting that they had yesterday in King's Church Horsham. Because when I read this, I just felt an ignition of the fire of the Holy Spirit in me. And I hope it ignites you too. Okay. Okay, so this is from the senior pastor there, a guy called Andy Robinson. He says, The main reason for the email was to tell you how incredible the worship was and how anointed and sensitive Lou was in how she led, sang, and moved in the Spirit. Lou most of you will know, was the girl who was just singing on that album. Okay, it's my daughter-in-law. She sang out in spontaneous spirit, uh, led singing in the sessions, but in the last session, she led out in a spontaneous song in the moment that blew the lid off the place, ushered in the powerful presence of God. The weight of his glory that followed was so heavy for many of us that all we could do was lay down prostrate on the floor. I tried several times to get up, but the weight of the presence of God was too heavy, literally. In the first session, I felt the presence of angels as they moved around the room. Literally, I can feel them move the air as they come past me. 
The other Sunday, about four Sundays ago, in the worship time, we felt a wind go through the church. Um, some of us felt it. And uh, so that's a, a repeat of that. A new experience was smelling the presence of God. It was like a sweet smell. I thought it was just me, not creating the smell, lol. <laughs> um, but Julian, Julian grabbed the microphone and said, can people smell that? Amazing. I could not sleep when I got home. Too pumped. And I woke early and could not sleep this morning. Too excited. So I'm here praying and wanted to pray for you both. That's me and Rosie, of course. That the anointing presence and glory of God that was with us yesterday and will be with us again this morning will also be with you. Amen. Um, that as you minister today, that the power will come, his glory will come, and his presence will come. Hallelujah. So that's very encouraging. I've come with a real sense that uh, God is going to meet with us over this uh, few days that we're together this weekend and next weekend as well. And just to say that, that um, Joe talking about the beginning of this church, this church began in a move of the Spirit. And uh, I want to encourage you to continue in the Spirit. We're living in a day when almost uh, charismatic language charismatic worship and uh, an understanding of the charismatic has become so commonplace even within mainstream evangelicalism that we can lose the sense of dynamic it can almost become like a theology and a doctrine that we all accept without living in the power and dynamic of what the Holy Spirit does of who he is how he interacts with us, how he affects our church, how he affects our outreach into the world. And I want us to focus this morning, or we're looking particularly at the whole concept of dynamic prayer in the Holy Spirit, but this affects the whole of our spiritual life, and I hope the whole of our church life. So to get into this, just a, a couple of short passages of Scripture. John chapter 7, and uh, one of the classic stories in the Gospels, John chapter 7, and picking it up at verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, or as some translations say, out of his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, we're going to come back to that in a few moments. Turn with me as well to Ephesians chapter 6. I gather you have been doing some studies in this recently and putting on the whole armor of God and uh, all that that means. But I want to focus on one particular verse. This is, of course, a passage of Scripture that um, essentially is about spiritual warfare, but not only about spiritual warfare. It's about the whole of our Christian life. And uh, Paul sums this all up at the end when he says that having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, taking the sword of the Spirit, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, and having standing, standing in all the armor, having done all that, quenching all the fiery darts of the evil one. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And that is what I particularly want to focus on. Now, the thing that makes the Christian religion different from every other major world religion is that it is about relationship. And it is our prayer life that maintains that relationship and helps that relationship to grow. But there is something that is natural within the human heart, whether Christian or not, that wants to pray. I don't know if you ever heard the story about the... Uh, Canadian who was out hunting, I know you love hunting over here, 
um, uh, he was out hunting and um, he was suddenly confronted by a huge grizzly. Now, this man was an atheist, okay? He was confronted by the grizzly. He got his gun, but he realized he'd run out of cartridges. So what was he going to do? He couldn't run because he was going to get him. So he started to pray. He said, God, save me from the bear. Well, the Lord said to him, why are you praying to me? You don't believe in me. He said, oh, God, please save me from the bear. He said, well, you've never prayed to me before. Why are you asking me now? He said, oh, God, please save me from the bear. At least, God, please make the bear a Christian. (laughs) At which point the bear goes, for what I'm about to receive, I'm truly thankful. (laughs) Okay, there's, there's something about us in times of stress that wants to cry out to God, whether we believe in him or not. It's very interesting. I don't know if, um, I mean, I know some of you do follow English football. Some, to some of you, it's probably a great mystery. But there was a, a game last year between two of the great English soccer teams. And suddenly, there was a drama on the field. One of the players, his name was Fabrice Mwamba, um, he was standing in his own penalty area at one end of the pitch. The play was going on up the other end. He sank to his knees and dropped down, essentially dead. No, nothing to do with the game. It was just like he had a heart attack and dropped down. Of course, the game stopped and people came over. The medics were called and uh, the game was called off and he was, uh, he was rushed to the hospital. It was a very dramatic thing. It wasn't just that the, the football world were engaged in it. Somehow, the whole country got taken up with this story that this young 23, 24-year-old had dropped dead at the prime of his life and in being absolutely massively fit. Now, the interesting thing is that all kinds of people were calling people to pray for Fabrice Mwamba. I mean, some hardened professional footballers who you would not think had the slightest interest in God were standing in tears being interviewed saying, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray. And right across the nation, people were praying. The interesting thing is that Fabrice Mwamba is actually a Christian, and he did get, actually come through this. And uh, I saw an interview with him the other day. He won't play professional football again. But what interested me was how an ungodly, unpraying nation, in a time that kind of um, uh, excited them in terms of the, the sporting world, turned to God in prayer. Now, there is something about us in our human nature, whether you are Christian or not, and it may be that you are not yet a Christian. And if, you, if that is your case, you're very welcome here this morning. And that's great. It's great to see you. But there's something within the human heart that wants to cry out to God. Now, the thing about Christian prayer is not that it is a last resort in a time of trouble. It is something that actually maintains our relationship with God and in a sense brings heaven to earth. This is what prayer does. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's something about prayer that brings heaven to earth. Now Christian prayer is to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. So the Trinity, God is a a, a Trinity, one God, but expressed in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, this is an important point for us. We pray to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Now, does that mean that you don't pray to Jesus then? No, of course it doesn't mean that. Of course you pray to Jesus, and you can talk to the Holy Spirit and pray to the Spirit. But essentially, and I'm going to open this up and see how show you how this works. We pray to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. That means that we have access to the Father through what the Son Jesus has done for us, ushered in by the Holy Spirit. If I can illustrate it like this, I have a couple of friends who have recently been awarded the OBE. It's a very prestigious award. And uh, to obtain your OBE, you go and you actually go to Buckingham Palace 
and you go and have an audience with the queen. And uh, bo both have told the story about what happened. You have to kind of dress up, and there's a protocol, there's an etiquette. But when you get there, there is somebody there who ushers you in to the queen. Now, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He ushers us in to the presence of God in order that we can pray. But Christian prayer is by the Spirit, it's through the Spirit, and it's in the Spirit. So what we're going to look at, and if, we'll see if we get through all of these, is seven principles of dynamic prayer. And the first is that Jesus is our example. Jesus, when he came to earth, he came as God, but lived as a man. He lived with all the weaknesses, all the pressures, all the trials, all the things that make us human, Jesus lived in. And although he was God, he laid aside, not laying aside his deity, but laying his aside his right to deity. Now, this is very important for us. That's why in Philippians uh, chapter 2, it says he made himself of no reputation. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. He set aside not laying aside his deity, he was always God, but he lived and acted as a man anointed with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus needed to pray the night before he chose his disciples, it says. He spent the night in prayer. He was praying that he might know his Father's will. He sought the will of his Father. He sustained his ministry through prayer. And then there was that classic time in Gethsemane, when in his humanity he was crying out, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus, in his humanity, needed to pray. Now, Jesus not only prayed when he was on earth, he is praying for us now in heaven. Now turn with me please to Hebrews and chapter 4 and we have a, a wonderful verse about Jesus praying. It says this, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he's gone through everything that we've gone through. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the invitation here is that we can come to God through what Jesus has done and we draw near to the Father to join in the prayers that Jesus is praying and Jesus is constantly praying for us. So I want to just draw your attention to one or two aspects of this. First of all, it says we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, when we pray, Jesus knows just what we're like. He knows just how weak we are. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. He knows the things that make us tick. He makes the things that, know us, uh, that make us unhappy. And he knows what trials and temptations we are going through. Now, it's interesting that the Greek word sympatheo, which is translated sympathy, in the Greek language, when the Bible was written, had a much stronger meaning than the way we use the word sympathy today. So we can talk about, you know, oh, I, I can sympathize with that. You know, we can say, oh, I'm going through a bit of a hard time. And we say, oh, I sympathize with that. Meaning, well, we're kind of mildly interested. Um, and it's a word that, in a sense, has become devalued. A much better word is empathize. And actually, some translations have used the word empathize. That means a real entering into your feelings, to your trials, your struggles, your difficulties, the things that you are going through, the pressures that pour in. Jesus knows what it's like because he's been through it. He empathizes with it. 
he feels it and he talks to the Father about it. So he is a high priest who is empathizing with our weaknesses. Then goes on to say, so there's a, 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 in a sense a, a, a drawing in, but there is also an invitation. So in view of that, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Now the word confidence there, panheiser, it's a word which means casting off all restraint, casting off everything that would hinder, and just like running into his presence. What a marvelous invitation that we get from the King of Kings. Now how has this all come about? Well, we are to pray in the Spirit. When we are in the Spirit, we have the third person in the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, God himself being imminent, being present within us, and making God the Father real to us. The Spirit within us cries, Abba, Father, glorifying Jesus within us. That's why when we worship, we worship in the Spirit in order that we might be in this expansive experience of participating in a God who worships himself. The Father worships the Son, who worships the Father, glorif- with, who loves the Spirit, who glorifies the Son, who loves the Father. The Puritans used to call God a sweet society. You know, God loves himself. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are caught up and participants in the worshiping Godhead. You know, that throws a completely different perspective on your worship time, doesn't it? Completely different perspective. And sometimes we muddle in with our contributions. Now, contributions are good, as Gary said, but sometimes, you know, we can muddle in with the contributions. Sometimes we need to just stand back and say, well, yeah, I've got the word of God, but God, you're so great, I'm just going to keep quiet. And sometimes we need to keep quiet and give God a chance to do what he wants to do. Now, I'm not saying don't contribute, okay? Please don't hear what I'm not saying. But listen to the Spirit. And listen to not only the mind of the Spirit, but the moment of the Spirit. Because you can have the Word of God, but is it the right time? And sometimes we can kind of muddle in when we need to give God his portion and just love him and just worship him and just be engaged with the Holy Spirit and caught up with spiritual activity and just pour out our hearts to him in, in worship. Uh, just to say, um, Dan Steves. Okay, I've got a prophetic word for you. Where are you? Where is he? Dan, I'm, I've watched you grow up, and I saw you leading worship this morning, and I feel God would say to you, there is a new confidence that's coming on you, and that you will be a facilitator of the Holy Spirit as you lead, and as you're engaged with, with the worship team. I just looked at you this morning, and I felt God wants to speak confidence into you. It's, you're going to come into a new era of leading in the Spirit and to be intuitive to the Spirit. Where's the young lad who was playing the drums? Yeah, great. You know, I watched you playing this morning and uh, you're a good drummer, kid. You're good. <laughs> nice and tight. Like it. But I believe that God's going to release a prophetic creativity in you that goes beyond just playing for the songs, that there's going to be a prophetic dimension to what you do that there will be times when the Spirit will come on you and you will drum like you've never drummed before and you will be a facilitator of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, okay? And, uh, you know, you'll have to work out what that means and talk to Joe and others about what that means. But, you know, when Elisha was going to prophesy, he called for a minstrel. And when the minstrel played, the hand of the Lord came on the prophet. And I can see that there'll be times when you will play and the hand of the Lord will come on the prophets, and they will speak powerfully. Now, where's the guy who was playing lead guitar? Where? Yeah, over there. Okay, I believe as well a similar kind of thing for you, that there is going to be a kind of aggressiveness in the spirit against the works of darkness when you play at times, okay? You don't do that in a soft, gentle worship song, okay? <laughs> That's not appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but there will be times when God will give you something to play that will just, wow, we're warring now. We're going to war, okay? So there's an anointing on you for that. That was 
just aside, that isn't in my notes. I didn't intend to say that. But anyway, so we are to be in the spirit in our worship times. And um, these, this injunction to pray in the spirit, it's, it's a, a command that comes a couple of times in the scripture. One is in Ephesians 6, which we've just read. The other time is in Jude's epistle, where Jude says, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So in Ephesians, it's praying in the Spirit for battle. And in Jude, it's praying in the Spirit for building. Okay, so there are those two dimensions. Now let me just unpack this what does it mean to be in the Spirit? Okay, praying in the Spirit. Does that mean that we are in some kind of, you know, holy cloud? Or does it mean that um, we just ask the Holy Spirit to help us? There are two people in the New Testament who were described as being in the Spirit. One was Simeon. It says that he was in the Spirit, in the temple praying, And when Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus in, he immediately recognized who Jesus was, that this this baby was the Messiah. And he is described as being in the Spirit. The other person is, of course, John, who wrote the book of Revelation. It says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Well, what does it mean to be in the Spirit? Well, I believe it means that we are applying our minds, our heart, and our will in a a place of yieldedness to him, but also that he he has actually filled us up. Okay, it's a bit like when the rain comes down. Now, I was driving driving back with Wilf to... um, Uh, along the road yesterday with the rain pouring down and as we were driving we suddenly hit this big patch of water and the drains the water was coming up from the drains it was coming down from the heavens and up from the drains now that's what it means to be in the spirit okay he is coming down upon you he is living within you he's flowing out of your innermost being where there are those rivers of living water so out of our innermost being So he comes upon us, he's within us, he flows out of us, he flows through us, and he surrounds us. So that's what it means to be in the Spirit, having a spiritual awareness. Now this church began by a move of the Holy Spirit. There are a few people here who were around at that time, and what happened is the Holy Spirit moved in such a way that the old wineskin could not contain them. I mean, that's basically what happened. The old wineskin couldn't contain them. The old wineskin burst, and so God had to provide a new wineskin. And here it is. And you are the, uh, the, the, the fruit of that. And it's amazing to see how God has worked among you. When I was just thinking about this this morning, I hadn't intended to go in this direction particularly, but I was reading from 2 Timothy and the first chapter. And Paul here is exhorting Timothy about the Holy Spirit. And if you've got your Bibles, you might like to turn to it. Paul is writing to Timothy, who was a kind of younger disciple of Paul. And he says, in verse 4, As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, what, Paul, what is Paul saying here? He's saying, Timothy, you've got a godly heritage. You had a great mother. You had a great grandmother. You've got a godly heritage. I want to say to Christ Central Church, you've got a godly heritage in this place. You've got a godly heritage. You started well. Remember that. But Paul then goes on to say to Timothy, 
He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In other words, there was something about Timothy that may have gone, I don't know, maybe just a little bit off the boil. It doesn't actually say that. But Paul's saying, come on, stir up what was initiated. I want to say to you, stir up what God has initiated in you. Now, this fanning into flame, the the Greek word that's used there to fan into flame is a, a word for taking the bellows like a blacksmith would and pumping the bellows to get the flame burning. Okay, so that's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Put the bellows to the Holy Spirit. So it's not just that you've been baptized in the Spirit or been filled with the Spirit 10 years ago, 20 years ago, six months ago. It is, are you alive in the Spirit now? Are you fanning the Spirit into flame? Are you alive and uh, on fire for God, basically? Well, put the bellows to the flame this morning. And as, as I go through this, uh, uh, about praying in the Spirit, you'll see how to do that. And by uh, verse 14, Paul says that to, to Timothy, he says, I want you to guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Make sure you stay a people of the Spirit. You know, we are to be a people of the Word and the people of the Spirit together. And the Spirit is in the Word and the Word is in the Spirit. But there is a tendency today amongst some charismatic churches that have started well out of a desire to be, to use the terminology, seeker-friendly, that there has been a suppressing of the activity of the Holy Spirit when we're together. I tell you, the most seeker-friendly person on the planet is the Holy Spirit. And we don't need to be afraid of what the Holy Spirit does. Now, please... That doesn't mean that we all go wacky and crazy. Okay? It does not mean that. Okay? Jesus makes you sane and sensible, not stupid. Okay? But sometimes he does things that we can't quite control. And when the fire burns and his energy is working within us, we have to go with the flow. I was rather amused the other Sunday in our worship time when it was definitely not seeker-friendly. Okay, we sang in the spirit for about 20 minutes um, and um, there were all kinds of prophetic words and it, it was a quite an unusual morning. And at the end of it, I went to our senior pastor, Andy, and I jokingly said to him, because um, it was a great meeting, but I jokingly said to him, oh, that was a seeker-friendly morning, wasn't it? And we both had a good laugh about it. Yeah, but God was there. Interestingly enough, we have a, a young man in the church who is at Oxford University. Now, you probably know that Oxford and Cambridge are the two top intellectual universities in the UK. So we have a young man who, who's, who's there. He's a Christian. And um, he was visiting back at Horsham that particular Sunday. And he brought a friend with him who was not a Christian. He was an undergraduate at Oxford. He'd seen this young man's life and was interested in God because of this young man's life. So he said, I want to come to your church. So he comes to the meeting where you're most likely to feel, oh, I wonder if there are any unbelievers here. I hope not, because of all this that's going on. Do you know, after the meeting, that young guy went to Andy Robinson, and he said, this is my first time ever in a church. I don't understand what happened or what it was. He said, but I think it was probably God and I'd like to know more. So don't be frightened of the Holy Spirit. Don't withdraw from him. Now, as I say, don't go crazy. Don't go wacky. But let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. So we are to be in the Spirit. Now, this passage in John's Gospel that I read, where Jesus is promising that the Holy Spirit would come, this this is one of the pivotal moments in the New Testament. Now, I know I, I probably preached this at Fredericton before, but I'm going to say it again because it's such a good story. Um, I, 
this feast that Jesus was at was called the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was a week where the people would celebrate the time when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness and they were living in, uh, well, they were living in tents. The Bible calls it tabernacles, but basically they, they were tents. And they would celebrate once a year the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was a time of great rejoicing and singing and dancing and music and feasting. It was a tremendous time. Now, on the last day of the feast, what would happen would be that the high priest would go down to the pool of Siloam. He'd take a pitcher of um, water and he he would dip it into the pool of Siloam and he would carry it up a path that was very steep up to the temple door through what was called the water gate. And he would take this pitcher of water and he would take it up to the altar and he would pour it over the altar. And what it was was a prophetic symbol of God sending the rain of blessing in order that the harvest was going to come. Okay, So it was a prophetic picture and it it has its roots in, in the Old Testament. Now, although it was a time of great feasting and of great rejoicing, on the last day of the feast, when the high priest did it, the Jewish tradition was that everybody would line the streets and they would watch this, this prophetic enactment, but they would do it in total silence. So everybody would be very hushed and the priest would go up with this water and it would be this incredibly hushed atmosphere. Now, it was right in the middle of this, when it's totally quiet, that Jesus stands up and the Bible makes a point of it and says with a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He totally broke the convention and the etiquette of the occasion. He could have been arrested and jailed just for doing that. But what was he doing? He was saying, What is being enacted here in the pouring out of this water is fulfilled in me. I am the fulfillment of what you are seeing. And John commenting on this says that Jesus was talking about the spirit who had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So before there could be the fulfillment of this, Something had to happen. And what had to happen was the glorification of Jesus. Now, what is the glorification of Jesus? The glorification of Jesus, quite simply, is the sum total of all the events around Easter. From Palm Sunday, when he had his glorious triumphal entry into Jerusalem, his mock-up of a trial, his crucifixion, and his resurrection, and ultimately his ascension. Now, in the Christian calendar, the ascension isn't very often celebrated. But the ascension is the crowning glory of all that happened at Calvary, all that happened at the resurrection, all that happened in all the promises that Jesus gave the disciples in that six-week period. It culminates in in Jesus ascending back as a man into heaven, seating himself at the right hand of the Father on high. It's depicted in the Psalms, in Psalm 24, prophetically, when it says, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul to vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord. Lift up your heads, O you gates, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. It's a prophetic picture of Jesus, who is the only one with the clean hands and the pure heart, the only one worthy to ascend the hill of the Lord, the only one who was capable of bursting into the heavens, the only one who was capable of bursting through those portals with the angels there, their wings dipped in royal salute as the King of glory enters in, in power and victory and saying to the Father, I've done it, I've achieved it. And the Father says, well done, son. Sit down at my right hand. Hallelujah. 
And so Jesus is now in heavenly session at the right hand of the Father, having poured out his spirit on the church, praying for you and praying for me. And when we pray in the spirit, we are joining in that heavenly session. Woo! It's marvelous. It's marvelous. That's why we need to be filled with the spirit. That's why we need him. That's why we need to be engaging with the spirit. Because what we're doing is being caught up in the prayers of heaven. That's why Peter on the day of Pentecost is able to stand up and say, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high, he has poured forth this which you see and hear. So the result of the ascension is the outpouring of the Spirit on the church. And we are in the good of that. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, come on, stir up the gift that was there. Come on, Fredericton. Come on, Christ Central. Stir up the gift. Okay, keep it in full flame. Okay, so how do we pray in the Spirit? Well, we need to learn to grow in our faith. Okay? Now, there are categorical promises in the Word of God regarding prayer. Like, whatsoever things you ask for when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Do you all believe that? That's the Word of God, isn't it? Okay? Jesus said, if you speak to this mountain, it will be removed and cast to the sea. Okay? With God, all things are possible. That's scripture. Do you believe that? That's categorical promises. How many of you have tried it and found it doesn't work? Okay, don't lie. We all have. Okay. Okay, the promises are there. But what we've got to be careful of is that we don't just take promises like with a promise box mentality and the calendar on the wall mentality where we have our uh, odd scriptures. We see this in the context of the whole thing that God is saying about prayer. One of the big mistakes the faith movement makes is that they take random promises and apply them. Like, for instance, you know, speak to the mountain, whatsoever things you, be- you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you have them. They take hold of them, they apply it to healing, and they say things like, well, you are healed when you quite clearly are not healed. Okay, and what happens is they start confessing things that are just not true. Okay, now it's very important that we don't do that. Okay, because these promises are related to faith. It's not so much whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. It is, what is it that you should be desiring? Okay, so how do you know what to desire when you pray? Well, you fellowship in the Holy Spirit with Jesus to find out what the Father's will is. So there is a process in prayer where we find the will of God in order that we pray the will of God. And I can give you some examples of that in a moment. But let's eliminate the negatives when it comes to unanswered prayer. Okay, let's eliminate the negatives. One of the negatives can be pride. You know, one of the reasons why God doesn't answer our prayers is because of pride. And it could be that if he did answer that particular prayer, it might be that we would be proud. Now, I can give you an example of this. Um, I have on one occasion raised somebody from the dead. And I'll tell you the story of that next week. Um, It was in a very... It was in a very, just to make sure you all come. (laughs) It was in a very public setting. But the interesting thing about that was that God did not give me permission to tell that story for a very long time because he knew that I would not be able to handle people talking about it. And so I didn't, a few of my friends knew but I would never use it as an illustration in a public sermon. Okay, I can do that now. Um, But for quite a long time, um, having seen this very, very dramatic miracle, I felt I did not feel God's permission to share it because I know that pride would have welled up within me. So we need to be careful about the whole area of pride. You know, humility is such a tremendous gift. I don't know if you've ever heard of... um, heard of Norman Grubb. Norman Grubb is is one of the spiritual UK greats of the 20th century. 
Have you ever heard of C.T. Studd, the pioneer missionary who um, went, he, he was an English test cricketer. I know cricket's a great mystery to Canadians, but he was a, a test cricketer and um, he was very wealthy and he gave all his money away to mission. And uh, Norman Grubb wrote his biography. And Norman Grubb was a very, very famous preacher in England in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. Wrote several books. One book that he wrote as a book called The Deep Things of God. And as a boy growing up, he was one of my great heroes. Um, before Rosie and I were married, we, um, we used to sometimes um, go and sing at conferences together. In those days, you didn't have a worship time. You would have the kind of guest soloists. So we were the guest soloists at this conference. And it was, it was a wonderful conference. And uh, there was this man there, an old man, beautiful snow-white hair, beautiful spirit, very encouraging. He would come and talk to me. He'd come and talk to Rosie. And he was there, and uh, he'd sometimes pray in the prayer meetings and, and stuff. And... Uh, you know, he, was, he was just there as a conference delegate. And uh, I knew there was something about him. When it came to the last session, the person leading the conference turned to him and said, Norman, would you like to give a word? I suddenly twigged that I'd been in the presence of Norman Grubb at a major Christian conference for the whole weekend and not realized it was him. But I'd seen his spirit and his heart and his humility. No posters, no advertising, nothing. His name wasn't anywhere. And I thought that's a terrific lesson about humility. God loves a humble heart. But if we've got pride, it can actually stop our prayers being answered. Another is sin. If we've got sin in our hearts, the Bible says that uh, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Okay, here's where I make friends with the wives. Okay, husbands, if you are not living with your wife in an understanding way, your prayers will not be answered. Okay, that's in Peter's epistle. Peter says, live with your wives in an understanding way that your prayers may be answered. So I sometimes get a little nudge. You want your prayers answered, don't you? <laughs> From a certain department. <laughs> So live with your wife in an understanding way. Lack of perseverance. You know, sometimes God wants us to persevere in prayer to keep pressing on. Okay, so there's... And finally, has God actually said it? We need to learn to seek the will of God to know what God is saying. So let me accentuate the positive, having eliminated the negative. Okay, so we need to learn to seek the mind of God and rest our praying on what God has said. So let, let me give you an illustration of this. A few years ago, there was a young man in our church, went off to university, and he was riding home from the Christian Union meeting back to his digs on his bicycle, and he was knocked off his bike by a drunken driver. And uh, to all intents and purposes, I mean, it, ver it looked very, very much as though he'd killed him. He was taken to hospital. And the next morning, his father, who was a, a member of my church, came and bro broken-hearted, he said, it looks as though Clive's going to die. And uh, that day, I was uh, leading the church he, he, in prayer. He said to me, can you get the church to pray? I contacted a local doctor who's a, a friend of ours who was in the church, and I got him to look at the medical reports, and the doctor said, to be honest, there's no hope. It was as bad as that. So I had to lead the church in prayer that night for Clive. And that afternoon, I sought the will of God with tears and with passion and with fervency. And God said to me, Clive will live. And I was able to stand up in front of the church and say, Clive Harris will live and we are going to pray to that end. And Clive did live. Now, it doesn't always work like that. There's a man who's a great friend of mine, same age as me in our church in, in Brighton, suddenly developed a very serious cancer of the esophagus. And uh, it, it was looking as though his life wasn't going to be very long. He called the elders for the anointing of oil and, and prayer. He came as I began to pray for him. 
the Lord said to me, I'm going to take him. And I was able to say to him, Rick, I need to prepare you for eternity. And um, some of you might know some of my songs. There's a song on one of my albums, In Every Circumstance of Life, You Are With Me, Glorious Father. And I wrote that song as a result of that and gave it to him as he went into the hospital. He took the song with him and it was sung at his funeral. You see, we need to know what is it that God is saying. Okay, now next week I'm going to give a little bit more explanation of healing and why it doesn't work sometimes and why we should have an expectation that God does heal. So we'll look at the whole theological package of that and also how we can apply that into church life. So that's next week. So we need to spend time finding the will of God, seeking the will of God, and knowing what it is that God is saying. The next thing about praying in the Spirit is to be fervent in spirit. Fervent in spirit. Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. It says this, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. William Booth, the great founder of the Salvation Army, used to say, I like my Christianity like I like my tea. Hot, strong, and sweet. Okay, so... Uh, It's the same thing as saying fan into flame. Be fervent in spirit. A few years ago, Rosie and I were invited to Korea. And it was one of the most profound experiences of my life. As you probably know, over uh, several years, there's been quite a major revival in Korea. The biggest church in the world is in Seoul in Korea, Yonggi Cho's church. But in Seoul itself, there are many churches of... They are incredible in their size. It it really is amazing. I was invited there because um, there was a a church that one week apparently was singing, um, again, another song that I'd written, The Lord Has Displayed His Glory. And there's a line in it, Hallelujah, let your kingdom come. And then it says, Let the deaf hear, let the blind see, let the lame man Leap like a deer. Actually, it wasn't one of my better songs in the poem. The poetry there's not that brilliant. But while they were singing it, apparently what the song said began to happen in the congregation and people were getting healed in the worship. So on the strength of that, they invited me to go over. What I hadn't realized was that it was to speak in the Olympic Stadium and there would be 80,000 people there. So (laughs) it was a, a pretty remarkable experience. Now... You, you guys in the worship team, you wait till you hear this, okay? The, the worship was phenomenal. 80,000 people singing praise to God. It was amazing. I mean, it was like being in a, a football match, except that there was no ball. It was just worship. And it was like, um, it would go really deathly quiet. Well, not deathly quiet, livingly quiet. <laughs> it, it, would go, it would go really quiet. And then suddenly, without anybody doing anything, there'd be this great roar as though somebody had scored a goal and everybody would shout. I mean, it was incredible. It's an amazing thing. Well, at the end of the evening session, which ended at 10 o'clock at, at night, the worship team leader got the worship team together and he, he said, you've been giving out all day. You've been pouring yourself out. He said, we now need to go to Prayer Mountain to get recharged, to get back to God so we can do tomorrow. Prayer Mountain was an hour's drive away. They finished the meeting at 10. They did an hour's drive to go and have a couple of hours on Prayer Mountain so that they had enough strength to come back tomorrow to lead the worship. I tell you, it made me feel I wasn't even saved. (laughs) Talk about fervency of spirit. And on Prayer Mountain, I had the privilege of speaking at a conference on, on Prayer Mountain You walk up to Prayer Mountain, you can hear the sound of thousands of people praying. It is absolutely amazing. It's overwhelming. And uh, on one night uh, in in the Olympic Stadium, there was an appeal that was made. The person preaching that night made an appeal. About 30,000 people poured onto the the grass in, in the stadium. It was an incredible time. It had a profound effect on my spiritual life. And I said to God, what is it about these Korean Christians that's different from Western Christians? And God said to me, they are fervent in spirit. 
That was the very word I got. And I began to look at that whole sense. Where, where does fervency come from? Where, wh- how do we get it? Is it something that God gives us? Or is it something that we stir up? The answer is, it is actually both. That we can stir ourselves to be fervent and God gives us a fervency of spirit. Another way of expressing fervency is compassion. It's compassion. It's how do we feel inside. You know, it says of Jesus that he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion when he saw the crowds. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. When he looked out over Jerusalem, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chickens? It was like he felt it in the very depth of his being. There's a very interesting Greek onomatopoeic word for compassion when it says Jesus was moved with compassion. Splagchen at It's like a thrust in the stomach. You know, it's like a knife going in. It's like you feel it in your intestines. It's like a... I feel this. There's an intensity to it. And, you know, unless we are moved with compassion, how does the Spirit of God dwell within us? You know, there's an old hymn that comes out of the Salvation Army, except I am moved with compassion, how dwelleth thy Spirit in me? And, you know, we, if we want to see growth in the church, which I'm sure we do, if we want to see sinners saved, if we want to reach out, to people out there we need to have that compassion it's not just that we want the church to be bigger which we do but it is that we want to have the love of christ constraining us to reach out to the lost and that means that we are not so religious and not so condemning of people that we put them off this might be a strange illustration but um, i'm going to use it Um, Rosie and I are members of a health club or were members of a health club and one day we were in the health club and I was sitting in the sauna and um, there were two women in there and it was very clear that they were gay the way they were behaving now I was in the sauna it was getting very hot and I was getting very steamed up with their behaviour it was totally inappropriate And I was all ready to read the riot act from Romans 1. Okay, I'm going to give it to them. (laughs) And uh, I was feeling very cross about this. One of them had a little boy. And the little boy was playing in the swimming pool. And then he came into the sauna and he was calling his mum, mum. The girlfriend of the mother was not very happy about the little boy. Um, But um, that that was self-evident. So anyway, I just suddenly felt, come on, calm down. So I spoke to this woman. I said, he's a nice little lad. What's it like bringing up a a young boy like like that? And she was totally gobsmacked that I spoke to her as a normal person, as a normal human being. She said, oh, yeah, it's quite difficult. It's his birthday, and I'm giving him a treat. I said, oh, that's great. The girlfriend then looks at me and says, huh. My father never gave me anything. He never sent me a card. He never sent me a birthday present. Now it's me that's feeling condemned. Why? Because I'm going in on a judgmental basis, not on a basis of compassion. And it taught me a huge, huge lesson. God loves people, drunkards, gays, all kinds of people. And they're all out there. And Jesus was the friend of sinners. Not the acquaintance of sinners, the friend of sinners. Why? Because he was moved with compassion. And you need to turn that compassion then into prayer. So be fervent in spirit. Now, sometimes when we use the expression pray in the spirit, we can very glibly think, um, well, praying in the spirit is praying in tongues. And we all know that. Well, yes, it is. But I hope that what I've shown you is that praying in the Spirit is not just praying in tongues. It's more than that. Okay, so we're going to look at a verse in 1 Corinthians 14 where we do see that praying in the Spirit um, 
does have uh, an aspect of, of speaking in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14:15 says this, What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So there are two types of prayer here, with my spirit and with my mind. Now the Holy Spirit is involved in all of it, but when Paul says, I will pray with my spirit, it's spirit with a small s. It's his spirit. Okay, so I pray with my spirit. Now the context of this is congregational prayer. So Paul says, I will pray with my spirit, but with my mind. So we need to articulate our praying. So we actually ask God for things. Now, we're still calling the Sunday night prayer meeting tag. Yeah, well, I, rem- I, I invented that. <laughs> Do you remember? Okay. Um, it was because at the time in the church when we, we, we were gathered together, the prayer meeting was focused on us all praying for one another. Now, that's fine, but we weren't asking God for anything. So I said, why don't we start asking God for some things? So together asking God is what tag is. Okay, together asking God. We pray with our minds. Okay, we pray things that God has given us to pray for. That's why the Lord's Prayer is important. When we pray, Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father in heaven. So you start with God. You come to the Father. Hallowed be your name. We declare his name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's usually a long bit of the prayer because there's a lot to that. Then we get onto our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. So what we need. So Jesus is giving us not a prayer to be repeated, but a prayer that is like, uh, like the contents of a book. We pray for this bit, we pray for this bit, we pray for this bit, we pray for this bit. I base my prayer life every day on the Lord's Prayer. Okay, So I'm praying with my mind. But we also pray with our spirit. Now this is where speaking in tongues is so important. Because sometimes we can't articulate our praying. That's why Paul says in the book of Romans that we sometimes don't know what to pray. So the Spirit makes intercession through us with groanings that can't be uttered. So those groanings might be tongues or it might be just, oh God, well it's fine to pray like that because the Spirit interprets what's in our spirit to the Father. And so we intercede with moanings and groanings that can't be uttered. But speaking in tongues, praying in tongues in our private devotions is a tremendous way to pray in the Spirit. And finally, to bring it to a conclusion, we need to pray as churches. Okay, We need to pray together as a church. The early church got together. Whenever there was a huge problem, they prayed together as a church. So much so... But on one, in, in one instance, the place was shaken. The presence of God was so strong. In another instance, Peter was released from prison. So there is a power that is released when we pray together corporately. Let me just tell you this story, which is true, and I know somebody who knows the people who were involved. There was a mission station in Malaysia, and one day they ran out of supplies, and one of the missionaries, who was a lady, went to the local village... Um, which was some way away to get some supplies to bring back. When she got to the village, it had got very late in the evening, and the people in the village said to her, having given her the supplies, you need to stay here the night because there are bandits out there on the jungle trail. It's very dangerous. You need to stay here the night. She said, no, God will protect me. God will look after me. I've got to get these supplies back to the mission station. Anyway, she took the supplies and um, she got on the path, um, but she got tired, and she fell asleep. While she was asleep, um, well, well, we'll see what happened when she was asleep. When she got, woke up, she got back to the mission station. A few days later, a guy came to the mission station who was sick and needed help. He saw this woman, and he said to the woman, you were on the trail the other night. And she said, yes. He said, well, I was with my gang. We were going to attack you, but there were 11 soldiers standing around you. Well, she was totally, totally mystified by this, couldn't work it out. 
A few months later, she went back to her home church in London and she was telling the story in the prayer meeting. She said, I don't understand it. Well, the prayer secretary of that church suddenly got very excited. He said, well, what was the date? Now, he's one of these people who keeps a diary. So he looked in his diary. On that night, there were 11 people in the prayer meeting and they felt that they should pray for this missionary that they'd sent from their church. 11 soldiers standing around her, 11 people praying in the prayer meeting. Isn't that an amazing story? Now, when you pray, things happen in the Spirit. So, pray with all kinds of prayer at all times in the Spirit. Engage with the Father through the Spirit, through the Son. Draw near with confidence, unashamed, unrestrained, praying to know the will of God. Amen. Stir up the gift that is within you. Let's pray together. Dan, could you just come? Okay. The the time's gone, and I know we have to finish at 12, but there's just one thing that I want to focus on. I'm just to bring the, draw this to a conclusion. I'd like everybody to close their eyes, please. And it may be that you have been around a long time and you need to fan into flame. And you, you're saying, yeah, I need to stir up the gift that is within me. Okay? It may be that you've been a bit prayerless. Okay? I'm going to say to you, now is the time to put that right. We're going to sing just to conclude. And uh, I'm not going to make a public appeal this morning. I just want you, as we are singing this, just to examine your heart and just to pour out your love to God. And maybe tonight, if you can get to the prayer meeting, um, even though I said what I said just now, yeah, we can have a ministry time. We can pray for each other tonight as part of this in order to get the flame fanned. I'd encourage you to be there half past seven tonight to pray and to really uh, get before God and stir up the flame. Amen. Okay. All right, Dan, just just maybe one verse and a couple of choruses as the time's gone.